Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. I, I feel like I say this every week, but we've been so lucky to get some just top-tier guests, and, the, and this guy's no exception. So today's guest played for Bronte Beach and the MAC Volleyball Club. He went on to play at York University, where he was a member of the All-Rookie Team, a second-team All-Star, and an OUA champion. He finished his university career at McMaster, where they have a Final Four appearance. He's a five-time national champion, three-time provincial champion on the beach. He's represented Canada at three Youth World Championships. He's played in over 23 FIB events and won the Center of Gravity with friend of the show, Conrad Leineman. Please welcome to the show, Paul Pitstaka. Paul, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, Josh, for having me today. This is an honor to all the guests that you've had uh, leading up to the show. This is kind of uh, going to be hard to follow up on some of those uh, podcasts from previous episodes. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Your name's come up a couple times, so it'll be good to get your version of some stories and, and get it rolling. But uh, where we yeah. usually start is just growing up, and obviously your name's popped up, and people would know Adam, yourself, and Tom, like all three top-level players, right? So were you guys a volleyball family from the start? Are you playing in the backyard? Or what other sports did you guys play growing up? Yeah, good question. Um, well, growing up, like my parents both played at a high level, so my dad was on the provincial team and quite funny uh his coach was wally diva at the time and obviously uh we'll get into it but wally was my coach at some point and another one of his coaches was Mirik perosa who also was uh, one of my coaches uh, during my playing career as well so um, my parents grew up playing volleyball and i was kind of like a gym rat going from gym to gym following my dad at some of the uh, ova adult events uh whether it was on the beach or indoor you would see me in a corner hitting balls, peppering, uh, shagging balls. So I was always around the volleyball atmosphere at a young age, and uh, as well as my brothers as well. So from that aspect, yes, we, we got a lot of exposure at a young age, but we also grew up playing a lot of different sports. So my main sport growing up was basketball. I was on a AAA basketball team growing up, traveling from tournament to tournament, and um had some other sports on top of that that I excelled at was uh, tennis. Um, little story is uh, growing up, my parents would Saturday night would drop me off at our local tennis club, and I would be there from let's say 4 p.m. till about midnight, all through elementary school. Most of my high school career on Saturday nights was spent at the tennis club, um, playing tennis, whether it was drills, matches. Um, that was one of the sports growing up that I was really uh, into at the time. Um, but then I had to make a choice. Um, am I going to play tennis or am I going to play basketball? Golf was another one of my sports that I was growing up playing almost every day in the summertime, dropping me off in the mornings, Monday to Friday and golfing. So um, I got a little taste of everything. And then I guess it was in my grade nine year, I had to make a decision. I can't play AAA basketball and play club volleyball and play club tennis they all overlapped and I had to specialize at something. And my dad said, you know, like you're good at everything, but if you want to be the best, you have to specialize. So I thought, you know what? I think my chances are is volleyball. Like I haven't yet played club at that time, but I really enjoyed it and I excelled at it, not really training at it, but I guess athletically I was gifted at it at a young age. And I thought, you know what? This might be the sport to uh, continue on. So that was kind of the path I took. High school was where it kind of all blew up for volleyball-wise and, and club-wise. So going into high school, I think it was my grade nine years, my first year of club ball. We were introduced through a uh, funny story. An elementary school coach came up to Adam and said, you know what, you got to go play some club. And we didn't know about any club teams in, in the area. We didn't know of Hamilton. We didn't hear about any club teams in Hamilton, Ancaster area. So 
they said there was a there's a club out in Oakville called Brawny Beach, and my dad said, "Okay, we're packing up the car, we're going to Brawny Beach." So we get in the vehicle, all three of us go to Brawny Beach, and uh, and that was history. So that's kind of where the the Brawny Beach uh, um, started um, from from that aspect, and then it kind of every year it got better and better. Um, my first year, I think it was. Uh, it was a U16 team and we, we won uh, Eastern Nationals and Provincials. And I recall it was just basically um, James McKay and myself were the two, two players that I recall during that year that kind of carried the team um, during, during that, uh, that year. And then the following year, um, there's no 17U at the time. So it always jumped two age groups. It was like 16U, 18U, and then you go to university. So um, the, the very next year I had to play up. Um, on the 18U team, but that team was stacked. We had Brock Pehar, Dan Murray, James McKay, and there was a bunch of other really solid athletes. And I was the second right side on the team that year. And for me, going into that season, I was very, uh, I was like, I don't know what to say, but I think I was, I was nervous, but excited, but also disappointed that I'm not like the all-star this year. I'm the young guy on the team, and there's there's other players there that are way better than me. And I knew that I needed to work really hard that season to uh, get any sort of playing time. So playing time for me in that year was really minimal. I was basically just training, developing, and kind of watching from the sidelines. And anytime I was I got a chance to go in, I was itching to go in. Um, so that year was kind of like a low year for me in terms of uh, club volleyball, but. That kind of motivated me for the following season and high school season to, hey, you know what? You got to like earn your spot. It's not given to you. So that was like my first learning lesson of like, you're not the best at this sport. So you need to start training more and working harder. So that was probably the, uh, an eye opener for me that, that season to prepare myself for the next season. That's that's awesome, man. That's a pretty sweet journey. And it's funny you bring up tennis because I remember like we've had Lane Van Buskirk on the show and I think her dad's still convinced she's going to be a pro tennis player even though she, she went the volleyball route. And even Jake McNeil and I were just looking at world rankings and he was shocked when he found out if he was the same world ranking he is in beach volleyball that he is in tennis, he would be way wealthier, right? So it's kind of funny how these volleyball guys end up with uh, maybe looking back, maybe tennis would have been the right approach. But yeah, that's cool to hear about your era because it was, there was no 17 you so you had to skip that so i'm wondering who were some other top clubs that you guys were playing against like you mentioned bronte beach was very competitive uh like was andrew hinchy's era in that time i think simic's a little bit older than us yeah. like who would have been some guys you would have been battling with across the net during that time i it's so long ago i'm just trying to think it, it was a lot of the toronto teams that was giving us a lot of good competition um like Graydon Ainsworth maybe or Baddiston's team or no Baddiston was a year older and Graydon was like a couple years younger um but there were some really strong Scarborough teams some Toronto teams I guess yeah Hinchy's team was 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 pretty good but then I got to play with Hinchy in my last year of club so he came down he was traveling from Barrie all the way to Hamilton to practice uh during the week for our club season so that was a dedicated athlete who came into our uh, our club scene, um, and that was through our MAC club scene. Um, my last year of high school, that we had a stack club season there. We had Shoal and Trevetti. Um, we had Andrew Hinchy coming down. I, I think we had Josh, you know, Luke Lichty. Um, I can't I can't remember the other names, but there was a lot of big names that we had, and there was a lot of good battles that year. 
And I think what happened that year is we ended up winning provincials, but coming second at nationals. So that, that was a great year. But I want to backtrack actually one year um, to the 18U uh, age group. So after that club season where I uh, was pretty much on the bench all year long, I get into my 18U season, it's me and James again. So this year, it was me, James, and this, we had a player named Eric Radkowski. Um, between the three of us, we did a 6-2 between James and I. And at that time, we were just kind of like setting each other like all day long. And that was like the James and Paul show in our last year there before I went to the Mac club team. And that was like a cool year. Um, we had some really great coaches along the way up, Ronnie. I forgot to mention, um, shout out to uh, Mark Dunn. He was the coach during my year that I sat the bench, believe it or not. So I got to learn a lot from Mark. I was on the sideline. Uh, I was good. I was a good stat keeper, I guess. <laughs> um, good cheerleader. Um, and then my following year, I had Greg Mills. Um, he coached at Mohawk uh, for a little bit there. So he was my club coach. And funny enough, he was my high school coach in grade 12. So we had Greg Mills come to Ancaster High in grade 12. And that team, again, I have some shout-outs there, Yasmin Call. He was on our team. Um, you guys know Yasmin now. He's an awesome player. He played pro, indoor, played some beach. Um, but in high school, in that year, um, he'll remember this too, that he was super raw in volleyball. He was like this flying athlete who can bounce balls and warm up and roof any ball he wants and warm up. But as soon as it came to the game, Yasmin was a complete, I don't know if it, it was his nerves or what it was, but we weren't, he wasn't utilized as much as we thought he would be at that time because he was still really new. Um, he never played club volleyball, um, but he went on to have an awesome indoor career at Mohawk and then in, in the pro circuit in Europe as well. So um, he developed pretty quickly uh, when he left uh, high school. But we had a funny story at Asta. So Greg Mills was our, uh, our coach, and we win our city championships. City championships in Ancaster was, was the real deal. I don't know if it was like this at other cities, but we hosted it and we had, it was on a Friday night and uh, I think we played Joel and Trevetti in the finals, actually. He went to Barton High School and it was a packed house. I, I swear to God, it, it was standing room only and we had like a balcony where you can overlook. So everyone was there. It was like shoulder to shoulder, both schools, like half and half on each side. So it was a massive uh, crowd. Um, and playing in that type of atmosphere kind of got me prepared for like the university level and the next level because we're playing in sold out crowds like in a free high school match. But it really got you going because there was a lot of trash talking going on, a lot of chirping from the side. There was like bands and music makers and big like trombones. And it was just like, you needed to focus on your game because you had a lot of things going on in the background. So that really got me prepared. But our, when we won cities, we got, we got to Offsa. And I remember this, uh, our first match was against OT. And I think at that time they had Dan Murray and Devin Miller um, were there, I believe. Um, and they were the number one ranked team going into Offsa. We were, I think, like a top 10 team, but we weren't like the top, anywhere in the top like let's say four um so we knew we were going to have a big battle ahead of us but our coach didn't show up for the match he slept in because at the time <laughs> he was doing night shifts uh i don't know if it was for the police station. she's a police officer now um, but he was doing night shifts and he uh slept in for our first uh off the match 
So our chaperone coach was our gym teacher who knew nothing about volleyball at the time. He was a football coach. So he asked me, so what's the lineup? And I was like, all right, here's the lineup. Um, this is who's going to play. And uh, I'll take the timeouts if we need it. So I basically was coaching and trying to play at the same time in our first Oslo match against the, the best team in the, the province at the time. And um, I think we lost them, but it was a very close match. We went three and then our coach came the next game and he apologized that uh, he slept in. He had a night shift and, uh, and that was it. So that year we ended up finishing fifth. It was a good like kind of eye opener um, going into the next year. And my, my last year, oh, and sorry, bring it back a notch there. Um, at Ancaster in, my, in that year in grade 12, Tom was a rookie. He was in grade nine and he was the starting setter for our Osla team in grade nine. And it was, and Adam, I think, got injured. He blew out his shoulder. So we were missing Adam for most of the season. And then uh, we had, like, just Tom as a rookie coming in really fresh. And then my last year was probably our best high school year. We didn't have any high school club players. We lost Yaz. We lost our, our uh, one of our top players, Pete Snolis. And we had just myself, Adam, and Tom. And Tom, again, he was our setter. It was just me and Adam on the left. And our supporting cast was a bunch of athletes. We had hockey players, basketball players who were like good athletes, but they were no one's played club. No one trained. They didn't understand really the club level and the next level. So um, we win championships again. Another sold out crowd at home, great atmosphere. And we go to Austin. We end up coming third. We had a big match against Saunders. At the time, Saunders was a top club team in like Forest City, obviously. Um, and we played Saunders there in the semis and lost in five. And now uh, that was like a, a great match. And it could have gone either way, but you know what? I, I, I'm happy with the third of the time um, with the team that we had versus the whole club, stacked club starting lineup against us. So it was basically the three of us and a couple supporting like athletes versus the whole club team. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, I think in that era, Saunders, I, they may have three or four peated with uh, Atkinson as their coach there. I think they, yeah. they've had a strong program for the longest time. But uh, I just want to circle back to that Mac team. Was that by design? Like, were guys in their last year and you start phoning guys? Or was that just a, a coach organized that? Or how do you think that super team came together? Was that around Dave Preston's time at McMaster and he was just trying to, like, build uh, a recruiting class? Or how, what was your experience with that kind of super team and how did it come together? Yeah, I, I think it, well, Dave was already at Mac there, but it was more of like, like you said, it was just kind of all the friends and stuff who were in the area kind of saying, Hey, let's, let's build like a super team in this area. Who can we get? We didn't have a setter. So we're thinking who can be a setter. And we talked to uh, Hinchy because I guess during his time there, they didn't have a strong team uh, out in Barrie. So he said, yeah, I'll drive out twice a week. So he was driving out twice a week and uh, we just pieced together the best athletes we can find, like in the area that wanted to play club that knew that they're going to go to university next year. Um, and then it wasn't necessarily everyone was going to Mac. It's just, we knew that this was going to be a university. City uh, team and we all got along and it was a great great time uh, and a great group of guys to be around that's for sure nice nice yeah because that kind of leads in where where I wanted to go next was just talking about recruiting so with you playing at a, a very competitive high school program coming through Bronte and then finishing with Mac what was your recruiting and you were a provincial team guy too right so what was your yeah. recruiting process and and what made you choose York like was your dad kind of pushing you with that Wally connection or what was your experience <sighs> for universities so funny that you mentioned that is 
when I, I, I was playing on the provincial team um, one summer, but I was playing up. So it was like uh, just kind of training with the provincial team guys. I was on the regional team growing up as well, uh, Region 3, uh, played in some of those uh, Ontario games. Um, and then there was a point in my uh, high school career that I was going to go to two, high, two universities between York and Ryerson. And I knew that both were heavily recruiting me, but I knew Merrick um, was recruiting me like from like from day one because in grade ten, I'm not sure if you knew about this, but Merrick used to run beach camps in Cuba, and he would like secretly invite, handpick his athletes, uh, male and female athletes, to run a camp in Cuba, and this would be a beach and indoor uh, camp, and it would be a March break camp, but it was for athletes that. He never said it on uh, on pay, like he never verbally said it, but I knew that he wanted those athletes to come to his program at Ryerson. It was just another way for him to kind of attract people coming to Ryerson. And I remember my great tenure. I went down to Cuba, and it was me, James McKay, Steve Murray was there that year, and then we had uh, what was that? He was a tall middle that went out west and played. Um, he was down there. We had a great time. We played against some good beach volleyball players. He tried to set up some indoor, but didn't really pan out from the indoor side when we were down in Cuba. So it was more of a, um, a beach side uh, camp that was during the March break camp. So that was kind of like Merrick's approach when I was younger, trying to get me to uh, stay with Ryerson. And he would kind of get me to go down to Cuba for the March break camp, which is great. And then when I was in my, my last year of a provincial team, um, I made the provincial team, and I think Mark Ainsworth uh, was the coach, and he wanted me to be the captain. And I said, Mark, um, I don't know if I'm going to come back this year. And then he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I have an opportunity to go to Europe and play in the Polish World Championships with Lucas Perosa. And there's another indoor Polish championship. So that's going to take up most of my summer. And if I want to do that, I got to train with Lucas. I got to train with him on an indoor team for uh, the Polish world championships. And so I had to make a decision. Am I going to stick with the indoor for the provincial team and train with them all summer? Or am I going to train with Mirek and his, his crew and get ready for that Polish tournament and train with Lucas and, and do that? So I made a decision. I had to call up Mark and I said, you know what? Um, love to be on the provincial team this year, but I'm, I'm going to go the beach route and I'm going to start uh, training beach with Lucas. So that summer was basically getting prepared for this Polish World Championships where uh, we went down as an indoor team where both my brothers played on it. And I think the Marslick brothers from Ryerson were on it. And we had Lucas and we had some older veteran players as well. And we won both sides of it. So we won the indoor side and then Lucas and I won the beach side. So we ended up going undefeated and we, we won that. So that was kind of another way of Merrick trying to recruit me to go to Ryerson. So now not only did I go to Cuba and I got to play with Lucas and we won world championships for the Polish uh, Olympics, they called it. Um, so. I thought I was going to Ryerson for sure. That was like one of my like top picks. And then Wally came along board and he wanted, he wanted me to go to York as well. So a couple Wally stories here. When I was in high school, I went to Offsa for tennis and Wally would call me and say, where's your next tennis game? I said, Oh, I'm in Toronto Offsa. I forget what club was that. It was kind of down by the beaches. There's a club where you get off the highway. I forget when the, what that club's called, but it's right off the highway there. And Wally's like, I'll be there. And I said, okay. So uh, he showed up for uh, offside. It was like on a Friday, 
And I ended up coming fifth in Asta for tennis, and he stayed for the whole day. And I think secretly he wanted to be there to kind of support me and and show that he cared about me as a, as a coach, not only in volleyball, but other sports. But he also wanted to learn about me of how I reacted in certain pressure situations, how I responded as an individual athlete when I was playing that. So that was kind of like an interesting uh, aspect that Wally would do um, for me on the side. So all in all, I, I was like 50-50. I didn't know which way I was going. And I think like I was saying, you know what, I'm going to go Ryerson. Even though I love I, I love York, I, I want to go to York, but I think Ryerson's where my heart's at. I was all in for Ryerson, and then it was the night before deadline. There was like a 24, there was like a midnight deadline. You have to pick which university you're going to go to. And I think Wally called me up, and uh, on the spot, he gave me a verbal, uh, verbal offer saying that, you know what, you come to York, you're penciled in right now as the starting P1. And I was like, I was like, you know what, I, I, I want to go. I was going to go to both sides, and you know what, he's going to give me a starting spot, penciled in. I could obviously have to still earn it, but uh, my coach is telling me right now I got, I got a spot, and I'll be able to play and develop. And and I thought, you know what, this might be a good spot. So I think that was like the convincing turning point, and that was like hours before the deadline. Like, and then I had to call Merrick and basically apologize and say, you know what, Merrick, I'm sorry. Like, I'd love to go to Ryerson too, but I changed my mind. I'm going to York. <laughs> and I don't think Merrick took that that well at first. Um, I think it took him a few years to really get over it. Even like my first few years at York, he still, he was really bitter about it. I think we like, we didn't really talk about it. And then it wasn't until like I left York was when me and Mirik were back on like speaking terms and we were kind of over that whole recruiting pro, uh, part of it. So that, that was kind of like my recruiting story there. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Before we jump into university, I just want to circle back. How big of a thrill was it for you being a teenager playing in Poland? Like were there fans at these matches? Cause I feel like volleyball is their number one sport, right? Yeah. So when I went with Lucas, we got to play some of the domestic tour events as well, leading up to this Polish event. So at this domestic tour events, we were so young. Like at the time, like I was still in high school, and we're playing against adults who could have been in their like like mid to late thirties. Um, and it was a cool, like it was good, like an international experience for me. And I got to see the fans, and it was kind of like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to like play beach volleyball. Like that's my sport. I want to touch the ball as much as I can is like, I like everyone knows when you're an indoor, you can go around like a whole rotation, two rotations. You don't touch the ball and all you get to do is serve. And that's fine in a team aspect, but in beach, I really wanted to be that player where you're going to touch the ball, whether it's uh, you're getting picked on or you're going to be setting your partner. So that kind of like got me motivated. I was like, you know what? I want to play this. Like, I'm only in high school, but I get to see what this is the next level. This was like a little teaser. And that's kind of where like all those little junior world championships came kind of came along the way. Nice. Nice. I'm sure people listening go, oh, well, you chose York and you won an OUA championship your first year. You must have made the right choice. But I think in that era, Ryerson was very competitive. Didn't they have Snake? And obviously Lucas was there and a bunch of other guys, right? So when, yeah. when you get to York, what was your sense of the league? Like, did you did you earn that starting spot on day one? And, and what did you think of the league from jumping from high school and club to the OUA at that time? 
Yeah. So, well, obviously in my high school, I didn't really have any club players to play with except for my brother. So I knew that this is going to be a huge step. You're going to be playing with guys who could be five years older than you. Um, I knew at Ryerson, they had some older players and Anton was there. Snake was there. Um, Lucas, they had a solid, solid crew there. And I know U of T was strong. Binstock was there. Um, so they had a, the, the league was really strong and I knew when I went to York that yeah Wally gave me a penciled line like starting spot but like I still had to earn it uh we had Jason Kinoshita my year he was a fifth year uh left side he was the veteran there uh we had like Ryan Anderson James Battison uh we had a huge list like Sho- uh Sean Trevetti Jordan Matthews so but my year was a we had a big recruiting rookie class so I think there was five rookies, and then out of those rookies, three of us started at one point. So um, going into year one was uh, we were a young team with a couple vets, but we knew that the league was was strong. Like it was strong across the board. Queens was strong, Western was strong, Mac was strong. So there was a lot of good teams. Um, so going into year one was definitely. Um, I, I knew that we we're going to be in for a challenge. And I think that a lot of the teams never really expected York to, to be in the top four at the time because they got a lot of rookies. They got a lot of new, new faces. Um, and they didn't know how like, the team was going to gel and, and all that. So I think we surprised everyone in year one. I know um, going into that season, a lot of rumors were going around saying, oh, there's no way York's going to win it. They're, they got way too many rookies. And then we, we, we were in the mix. And then you know, I think we played Ryerson this, uh, in the semis. And it was at home. And I, I remember the story that, like, York was like, it was such a great home court team to play on. Like, our, our venue was great. We had a huge fan base going into, like, every, every match was, was, was great that year. Like, I, I really enjoyed that atmosphere. Yeah, I was just thinking, you guys, uh, it was definitely an advantage to earn home court there because Kerr Hall with that Ryerson team, like that, that ceiling's not built for men's volleyball. I don't feel. Yeah, no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> so as you're progressing through your indoor career, did you always have one eye on the beach? Cause as you mentioned that awesome experience going to Poland, going to, I think you would have represented Canada as well at like a youth worlds by university as well. Right. So did you know that beach was always going to be the next thing or did you mentally enjoy the break going back and forth from indoor to beach? Well, I knew that if I went to York, I could play beach because Wally was like a beach guy. He said, you know what? If you come to York, you can play beach too. And I said, okay, then, well, that's cool. I can play some indoor and I can do beach too as well. Like, so I wasn't like committed in terms of if like some, some schools that were like, you got to play indoor. You can't touch the beach ball until indoor is over. And then that was it where I was playing beach tournaments during my indoor whether it was March break, Christmas break, uh, September, I missed like training camp because I was in Brazil. Um, so there was a lot of times I was missing indoor stuff for beach. Um, and Wally was okay with that. Wally was like all on board. He made that clear. Like if, if this is what you want to do, you can do beach too. Um, so that kind of like got me motivated for the beach as well, being able to, to, to play beach. So I feel like, there was a ton of beach guys at York. I'm trying to think of who he played with, but did Sholin not win a national championship on the beach too? I don't think he did because um, I always battled Sholin and it was always us, oh, okay. us versus Sholin in the finals or semis. 
I don't recall Sholin uh, getting. He, is, he he always came second or third. Okay, because uh, I just remember during, during those times. Uh, yeah, I remember spoke, uh, speaking with Logan Mann, and it's kind of like it's good you're a beach guy at York because whenever York I felt like was at the top of the league, it was because of guys like you who were beach guys. So uh, that was kind of a nice tradition you had in your cycle. But yeah, let's just zero in on that. So you guys, so, you obviously have an all rookie team performance, and you guys take down the league, but. What was that experience like? And then what was it like going into your second year? Like, are you a big expectations guy or were you like a rookie just going through the motions? Like, how, how did the league feel in general as far as like your goals and expectations as, as an athlete? So, like, when I got to York, our, uh, we get into the, the – this is a Wally story, actually. We, we can we can chalk this up when this one's for Wally. Uh, we do goal setting. And Wally, we, we had like a big goal setting meeting. And at the end of the meeting, Wally said, you know what? Our goal is to win OUA championships, and the only way we're going to do that, and if you do that, he said, I'll shave my mustache. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, okay, this is sweet. He's like, I, he's never shaved his mustache in like 30 years, and uh, if we win, he'll shave it. So our whole like season, we're, we're training to get Wally's mustache shaved off. And it was like kind of part of like the practice culture, part of our games leading up to it. We knew that like, hey, if we win this, not only we're going to win this championship, but we're also going to get Wally embarrassed and we can like uh, shave his mustache. So that was kind of a, a little neat goal that we had at the beginning of the season. And then during that season too, practices were set up differently because at York, I don't know if it is, still is now, um, but during my time and maybe probably the years before that, um, Wally set up practices purposely on Thursday nights, which was social pub nights at York, and early Friday mornings. So he made sure that we would be at the gym as long as possible on Thursday nights and get up really early on Friday mornings. So he wouldn't give you many opportunities to go socialize with your friends after on a Thursday night like the rest of the university campus was doing. And if you did, he'd make sure you paid for it the next day. So like we, we'd come to practice and if there were some guys that went out the night before, and he, he it wasn't technical. Friday morning practice was never about technical. It was about physical. It was how much can you run? Um, who's going to be the first one to throw up? Um, who's going to like fall over and just quit and say they're sick? So there was a lot of guys bailing out either because they were sick or throwing up. So we never really had a full Friday practice where we could actually do any sort of team team drills. It was all individualized purposely, but he never mentioned that. But we all knew that was like the the like the code. Like while he, we were at practice till eleven p.m. on a Thursday night, and then we got to go at like nine a.m. the next morning. Like we knew that he was doing this to to kind of keep us controlled, and I think it was good. In a sense that, like, he made sure that like this team wasn't getting out of control on Thursday nights because York was known for that Thursday nights. So he kept it really uh, controlled as much as possible. Um, but one of Wally's greatest things that I learned, like playing throughout that time, was a lot of his practices were gameplay style, which was like less technical but more gameplay. I love that. I just love going to practice. Doing a little bit of technical, but knowing that there's going to be a lot of times where he puts you in like pressure situations and makes you try to get uncomfortable and play um, in that in that when you're not comfortable. And and I learned that and I use that as a coach now to this day is try to like get your athletes to be uncomfortable and, and get them in those pressure situations. But yeah, going back to year one, we had a lot of beach guys. Like even his son Rob Daiba, he was a beach guy. Brad Gerardo. 
Um, he was a guy that was beating me up in the beach scene early on when he was playing with James McKay. Um, so there was a lot in James Battison too, who got into the beach scene as well. So we had a lot of beach guys, um, but we also had some big guys like Ryan Anderson. Like he was a beast in the middle. This guy was like 6'8", 260 and like rock solid. And he could play left side, middle, right side, and he can smash balls. And I remember, I, I don't know if it was my rookie year or my second year, I was on the tee on the attack line strapping on ryan and he just drilled me right off the face and i thought oh my god like if i can take that i don't have to be afraid of anyone else's hit in this league because <laughs> he's he's the biggest hitter in the league and i and i just got just squared right off the face so um from that point on i think i i learned that like there's no one else that's going to hit harder so i i learned that well, i won't be scared of the ball anymore so um but yeah after year one winning that uh, championship really got us kind of like motivated, but we never got to a, cha- a point where we could uh, win another championship. We we were close many times. We had Adam and Reed come in the next year, and then my other brother Tom came in my third year. So we had some like really good pieces, but uh, we just never really got it done. There was a lot of strong teams, so the the league was kind of even um, at that time. So there was never like a heavy favorite during those years so yeah i was thinking that with your era it did switch a little bit more than say like the danny demonico mac era where they just ran the table right where you guys were young and and as you graduated and get older you brought in like reed and some other top recruits like adam but uh, i feel like the league was pretty balanced at that time like mac was coming up with uh was nate groenveld at mac at that time and i think queens was just starting to come up too so yeah i think there was there was a lot going on right yep yep for sure yeah mac was strong queens was strong Western was really strong too. And then you started getting some of the other schools like Guelph started to get um, stronger. Um, so there was definitely uh, like a lot of, there was like six, six or seven really good teams. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Let, let's jump into this beach stuff. Cause I feel like there's a lot to cover there. So yeah, yeah. as you mentioned, you're going through university, but you had already represented. And I'm wondering if you could just fill us in, in that era, did you win a trials or how are you earning the, the right to represent Canada in, I think it was 2002 was your first time at a youth world, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like growing up beach, like I started off with like Adam was not my beach first beach partner and we just went to random tournaments in the OVA and played up the division. He was like four years younger than everyone. And I was like two years younger. And I remember playing against like Simic and Redmond and some of the other big names and we just got killed and it kind of like developed like every year you're looking for a new partner, looking for a new partner. So eventually in, um, U18, I, I picked up a partner named Jordy Glumack, and we win provincials, we win nationals, but then he wasn't able to go to Worlds, and I think that's how Adam got the call-up. I was able to pick a partner that I wanted to play with to go to Worlds, but Jordy wasn't financially able to go, and Volleyball Canada wasn't uh, helping out financially for anyone that was going to go to the Worlds, so I was able to pick anyone I wanted so my parents were like you know what if you play with Adam we'll, we'll pay for your ride I was like all right let's do it let's play <laughs> so picked up Adam um, we went there for our first uh, world championships in Greece 
play some big names. Like now you look at these, at the time I didn't know they were big names. I just know now that a lot of them were Olympians and Olympic medalists. So like you got the Latvian guys, uh, you got the Smeaton brothers, you got Plavins and Samolos. Um, so you, you got, and then you had like Pedro Salgado from Brazil. So you had a lot of these young up and comer, like future superstars in the beach scene that we got to play against at a young age. Um, and really see like, wow, this is like world-class athletes here. And this is what we need to like really prepare for. So every year was like a building block, um, moving forward. Nice. Nice. And I think as you continue to go to these youth worlds, and like you said, the same names keep coming up, the, the more comfortable you get, but was there a big jump from you going from like that U21 level to when you started going to main draws? Because without the star system there, I feel like you were jumping right into professional volleyball, right? Yeah. So um my first like like the world's like the the youth circuit was was great you can see all the great like future up-and-comers but then you knew that there was a lot of these really good players that were older that played for years and have tons of experience so growing up like watching mark and john kind of got me into the game as well i i would always watch game tapes like the Olympics and watch Mark and John and study them. That was like my way of like mentally training for that tournament and getting prepared. So I know when my first FIDB event was with Anton Hauser and this was like during uh, university, he calls me up and he says, do you want to go play in Czech Republic? And I said, well, I, at the time I was like super excited. I, I was like, Oh, this is awesome. I get to play some FIDB. So this was like my first event with Anton and so I, I go with Anton there and we have to play country quota I didn't know at the time what country quotas were all I knew is that you got to play another Canadian in another country I was like this is weird why wouldn't you just set this up at beach blast or down at the beaches and just play them well, like one-on-one -on -one there then the winner gets to go but at the time like I didn't know the whole beat scene and how it all worked and Anton was like explaining to me well you go there and if there's too many Canadian teams then you got to play them you got to beat them out to get into the qualifiers so there was like a whole system that was kind of new to um, but I was really excited for it. so my first match was against uh, Christian Redmond and Ray Sewell and uh, we end up beating them in uh, my first country quota match and that was my first like FIVB kind of international experience with Anton um, and we went to the qualifier and uh, we lost first round so I was like kind of disappointed but I was excited that hey I got I got some experience and I'm looking forward to the next time we can do this yeah that was gonna be my my follow-up question is how soon did your excitement turn into like the grind of, of the volleyball tournament because you were in an era that you played a lot of country quota matches right so did yeah. you ever get comfortable with the idea that you're you're paying this money to go to an international site and you got to fight to even get into the tournament or how did you deal with like the the pressure expectations and all the the outside noise that comes with like that era of canadian beach volleyball where you could like you said fly to poland play another canadian team and that's your trip yeah so country quotas for me uh, luckily i was i had a good record um, I think I played like 10 country quota matches and I was like eight and two. I only lost two country quota matches and one was like my very next tournament with, uh, Anton again, we lost to Redmond and Darren Goss. And that was like the first time I lost a country quota match. And then after that, like 
it was very nervous. Like I was very nervous going into a lot of these matches because I knew that like, hey, you flew there, you got to pay your way to get there, and now you're playing a Canadian team, and you might not even get into the qualifiers. So I was like nervous, but at the same time, I like I played like my best volleyball in my country quota matches, and some of like the big matches I remember was playing against uh, Martin Reeder and Jesse Lelliot, and. I never lost to them. We we had I think three matches, and I went all three with Anton versus them. And they they were coming off a hot season, a hot training camp. And I thought, oh, this this team here is really really good. Um, this is just before Martin went to the Olympics, and uh, I thought, okay, well, I got to play my A game here to beat these guys. And thankfully, I came out every game with like my A game, and we were able to uh, beat them. So those country quota matches were definitely. Uh, something that you had to prepare for and I was able to like pull through but I know that it's not easy being on the losing side of it because now you're sitting at a tournament waiting for the next tournament to happen and you're you're sitting around looking for teams to train against and kind of jumping on your train or flight and going to the next venue um, earlier than you thought because now you're you're not even in the qualifier so um, that's kind of uh, how that all worked. Yeah, like you just mentioned some top Canadians and obviously names are ringing a bell of, of guys you played against. But just looking at the list, like you and Anton would have played against like a very young Allison and Harley. Like you're playing some tough teams in these qualifiers to get through, right? So yeah. um, I'm wondering, so, as, as, no, sorry, if you have a story to top up now, yeah, I'm just looking so, like you've played some top guys over the years. Oh, yeah. So my against Allison and Harley, that was a great match. That was with Anton. We went to uh, Mexico and that was our last round of qualification to make the main draw and i was looking at the list and i was like are you kidding me we got to play the number one team in the qualifier again and i'm like i'm thinking if i got the chance to play against any other team it would be a lot like in my head i thought this it would be a lot easier road but at the time you don't think that and we we play uh, uh allison and harley and um we win the first set we shocked them. They were like kind of confused that these Canadians came to Mexico and they beat us. And then we lost the second one and we had match point in the third set. Uh, Anton made a dig and I gave him a really, really tight set against uh, Allison at the net. And I think Anton was super excited. He knows this to this day and he wanted to like go for the full on kill and, and win the match for us. And he just got, the biggest block ever by Allison, just straight down and no chance, but at least he went for the swing and I was like, okay with it. And we ended up losing like 16, 14 or whatever in the third. Um, and we had a chance there to beat them to qualify. And I thought, okay, that would have been a great win. Um, so we did play against some really strong teams along the way. And same with Simic and I. Yeah. I was just going to bring that up. Uh, Chris Simic, a guy I have a ton of respect for, and I really liked his game. How did that partnership come together? Because I think people who know you guys when you were younger, two tough, tough personalities, like two alpha guys on the beach. How did that come together? And and honestly, how did you guys get along? Because you're both like the aggressor, right? Yeah. So that was uh, an interesting uh, era. And I always looked up to, to Chris as like, the better volleyball player. I thought, you know what, this guy's the best. He's, I, I want to play with him at some point. And I was always like in back of my head thinking I'm, 
I'm auditioning every weekend. I go to Ash Bridges in my own age group to like maybe get called up by Simic to play with them at some tournament. And I was hoping that he'd call me one day and say, Hey, do you want to play? And I like for every year after, like I, I was like, I won two nationals and I was like, still didn't get the call. And I was thinking, what, well, when's he ever going to give me the call? Like, and finally I, I called him and I said, Hey, Chris, let's, uh, let's play the season. He's, and he said, well, let's see how we play together first. So it's a funny little story. It was like in a secret tryout that I had with Chris at North beach, outside of North beach at the outdoor courts at the time. And Adam came with us and it was just the three of us. We brought a, like a bucket of balls and Adam ran like a little practice for us. And he was just serving balls, digging balls, blocking balls at us. And uh, we did like a two hour, like mini, mini camp tryout. It was me and Chris and Adam was there kind of like evaluating us. And then at the end of it, he's like, yeah, let's play together. I'm like, all right, done deal. So that was kind of like our little like tryout together. And from there, we never turned back. And I knew during that time, Mark Riley ran this, uh, well, I think he still does PVB volleyball, but there was an online platform and this was hilarious. So there was, an online chat group about volleyball and there was a lot <laughs> of trash, trash talking going on during this, uh, this time. And it was during university indoor stuff. And, and there was a lot of beach trash going on and I would like get involved, but I never, I've never posted on that site. There might've been people who made fake accounts and started posting for me, but I never posted. I just read the stuff and it got me fired up. And I always read stuff about, oh, Simic and Pastaka, who's going to punch each other out first. And like, when I heard that kind of stuff, I was like, okay, well, it's not going to happen, but I I like that you think that's going to happen. And then there was like certain things that like motivated us and Simic saw that too. And I saw that and we both used that as like fire when we played tournaments and that kind of like sparked us that little little platform. And then it got shut down. There was, it was kind of like an online bullying thing that was going on. And then Mark, Mark had enough of it and he, and he, uh, he shut it down. So there was nothing that kind of like disappeared. But that year when I played with Simic, we had an undefeated youth season. So there was no team that beat us through the season. So we, I, I can't quote how many matches we played. If I had to guess, we probably played close to 50 matches and we were like 50, and zero that season we won provincials, we won nationals. And it was like, okay, let's go play on the world tour now. Like we're the best in Canada for our age group. Uh, we need to see how we can do on the professional world tour. But um, funding was always like in the back of our head. Sponsors, like our parents were our sponsors. Um, we had like my parents supported me through the whole whole time, driving to practices, paying for flights, hotels, and kind of all that. So without their support, it'd be tough to get through like a lot of these these competitions. So. That was the, like a, a lot of our sponsorship came from both our parents um, and a little bit of Volleyball Canada funding as well. But it wasn't like the greatest. It, it covered a little bit of your flights, a tournament here or there, but not, not enough to, uh, to support you for a full season. And that's kind of why I never got a chance to really excel um, on the world circuit by playing all the events. If there was like 15 events, I played like four with Simic that year. And out of the four, we qualified for half the events. And the other ones, we still had a really good like um, results in their qualifiers. We were getting to the final round. We win two or three, like two country quota matches. Then we have to win the next like few uh, qualifying matches to get into the main draw. So there's a lot of matches we had to play. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually wanted to take a deeper dive into your 2007 year because I remember being around the beach and everyone's thinking, oh, these these young guns are going to win provincials. And I was like, have you guys not been paying attention? Like you guys qualified twice that year. And the one I want to start with is that Portugal tournament. So like you said, your country quota record's really good. I'm looking at it. You beat Lubacek Hofer, then you had to beat Kruger Montgomery. And then going through the qualifier, it was a three-round qualifier and you're beating guys like Alex Horse and Huth and Schneider. And then you get to the main draw and your reward is playing uh, Pedro Kuna and NATO so it's like yeah. and then you lose to the Italians on the backside uh, Ricardo and Matteo so it's like that is a tough tournament but you guys played like seven matches like yeah. that that's unbelievable the path you had to take so and and with how young you were right so yeah with all this experience you're gaining did you and Chris like obviously you want to do the best you could but did you guys honestly believe you were going to start making these huge main draws and playing against the best people in the world we didn't know what we we're gonna we to expect we didn't know like a lot of these teams we, we heard of them i saw them on video games like ricardo emmanuel like i was playing like super spike and, and i get to play with all these like superstars and i get to see them now and play against them so that was kind of like kind of cool to play against them but going back to portugal this is a story that i'm going to tell and chris to this day we've never spoke about this and uh, i'm going to share this with everyone so um, going into Portugal, um, yeah, we qualified, but the way we qualified. So the day before the country quotas was like a, uh, a qualify or our training practice. And we jumped in on a King's King's court with a bunch of European teams. And I think there were some Brazilian teams there and we started training in the first 15 minutes of our training session, Chris and I couldn't get on the King's side. We just couldn't like stop them. We were on the, we we're always serving and we weren't getting on the King's side. So there was a lot of frustration between Chris and I thinking like, are we ever going to get on the side outside? Cause we just keep serving. And then, and then Chris started getting upset. I started getting upset. He started bombing serves out of bounds. And then there was a point where he just took the ball and he kicked it as far as he could and walked off. <laughs> and he left the court. And I was standing on the court by myself with like five other teams. And I was looking. I was like, okay, there goes my partner. And uh, we got to play a country quota tomorrow and a qualifier. And he just left all upset, upset that we weren't on the king side. And I was like, okay, well... I said, see you later, guys. Uh, have a good practice, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. So I go back to the hotel, and Chris's dad was with us at the time because he was like kind of like our chaperone for the season. He was like our team manager, and he was kind of supposed to be our video guy too and try to get as much video clips as he could. Um, so he was there with us for a bunch of the events. And I go to dinner, and I don't see Chris. And it's just me and Chris's dad. We're sitting at dinner. We're having dinner. I still don't see Chris. I haven't seen him yet since that practice. And I go to bed still not talking to Chris. And I know that tomorrow morning at like 8 o'clock, we got to be on the court ready to warm up. So I go to breakfast. I still don't see Chris. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, I don't see Chris at breakfast. I see his dad again. I'm like, hey, is Chris okay? Like, I haven't seen him since practice. Like, uh, we got a big bath today. And, uh. I'm sure all these other Canadian teams are scouting and preparing and doing video work. And we've done nothing to prepare like for our upcoming match. Like we don't, we know who we're playing and we know it's George. Um, and it's going to be a tough match, but we don't have any game plan. We haven't spoken to each other since this practice. Um, so I go into the court and I see Chris there. He's already warming up. He's running around the court. He's getting loose. And I go up to him and we just start peppering. We don't even talk about what happened the day before. We don't talk about the game plan. We just start peppering and start our hitting warm up and we just go and play. 
And we literally just played and played our best volleyball that we ever played without a proper, I guess, mental preparation going into the match, a proper game plan. We just kind of threw everything out the door and just set everything aside and just started playing volleyball. And we ended up going through, and we, I think George's match went to three. We won that. And then we had a play, like uh, Kruger Montgomery won two. And then, yeah, like you said, we had three tough uh, qualifying matches in our second round we played it was Gosh and Horst and that next year I looked at the results they finished fifth in the Olympics that year and I was like wow that was a pretty good win that we took them on and that was in three sets and that was like the the, the hardest international match I've ever played um, was that match and it was probably the most heated match um, in terms of trash talking going back and forth between two teams uh, Civic and I were like super vocal um, but we were on the same side like at that point we, we put everything aside whatever happened the day before we were like full in together we're going to do this and no one's stopping us and we end up winning that one in three which was like a huge battle um, and then the next match we just were so focused and that was a quick two-setter I think it was 29 minutes if I recall um, under 30 minutes it was the fastest qualifying match at, during that time there that we, we took took on and then like you said we've already played five matches now we're in the main draw and we got to play like the top seed so that that was like uh, it, it, it's tough when you're like you have to battle through all these country quotas and then go through all these qualifying and then play the number one seed and the same thing happened in Montreal where you had to play Ricardo Emmanuel right off the bat when you qualify um, so it's at one, it's a little bit discouraging at the time, but it was like exciting that like, hey, I got to play against like the best guys in the world at the time. So that, that was fun. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm just thinking of our athletes today. I would be over the moon if they came back from a tournament and went five and two, but they're not going five and two and finishing 25th, right? Like these extra yeah. country quota matches are just a drain, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. To build on that Montreal, because obviously people think that event's at home and maybe you guys got a wild card. Yeah. You didn't. You had to play a country quota and two qualifier yeah. matches. So. Yeah. Was your confidence building at that time? Was it nice to play in front of family and friends? Like, obviously, it's a thrill to play against uh, a Ricardo and Emmanuel, but at the end of the day, you're peers and you're trying to win the tournament, right? So what was yeah. what was the mood around Montreal that year for you? Well, it's nice that you get to travel in your country and you got your own culture and you get to eat your own food and you're not going to get, like, food poisoning and uh, there's no time difference. And uh, like you said, you got friends and family that are coming and it's just like a drive away instead of, like, a, f- a flight and a bunch of connecting trains and sleeping in like hostels and stuff like that along the way so now you're at home and you're in a nice hotel and you're only a little drive away so it was a whole different uh, atmosphere um in terms of that side and um going through that country quota and look at it i got to play against ben saxton who was an olympian and um beat him when he was younger right so he was just coming up and i got to play him in the country quota and then we had to play some qualifying matches but being on that grandstand like in Montreal like center court was awesome like the feeling was great you got to play in a huge stadium and um, really enjoyed that that side of it and having like a lot of like your friends and, and teammates now cheering for you along the way because um, like you know like during when you're overseas like the Canadians at the time you weren't you were friends off the court but when you're on the court you weren't like buddies because you wanted to beat them you wanted to have more points to them so you might not have to play a country quota match the next week so every time that you were like doing well and they weren't 
that was like an advantage for you because now you didn't have to play that extra country quota match and you might get into the qualifiers without playing your Canadians and flying to Italy or wherever you were going. So that was kind of like um, the deal back then. Yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to it. Like we've had Sleener on the show and some other guys talk about like Karting in that era, I believe, was very heavy, if not all results-based, right? So you are peers with them and you want to go for dinner with them and they're all good guys. But at the end of the day, if they win, you're not. So how did you manage that? Because obviously you said the funding wasn't that good, but there wasn't a lot of support either. Like there wasn't a head coach. There wasn't a centralized training thing. Like were you guys just so organized and goal set that you were cracking through? Because like you said, you and Simic were were definitely trending in the right direction. Like you guys played 19 matches that year. You went 12 and 7. You qualified twice like everything was going the right way but like you said the off-court support just wasn't there right yeah so um training wise like you said um i trained against adam and reed when i was playing with simic so we just trained with them they were like our training partners for a lot of the time and then once in a while we got called up and we trained with like mark and john and we trained with like aaron and conrad so there was a lot of like older guys that we got to train with two at the time but majority of the time we were training with Adam and Reed and then getting prepared for who we're going to play in a country quota and kind of we knew the names so we wouldn't really train with those guys because we didn't want to like show our strengths or weaknesses we wanted just to show up and play them um, like you said like a lot of the funding in karting was was based on results if you won nationals that was like your ticket for like a karting um, or a quest for gold at the time if you if you were a national champion you got a quest for gold so you get a little bit of money through uh, the young Ontario uh, government as well so that that helped too so yeah there was the, the 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 atmosphere playing against your fellow Canadians was tough overseas because you knew that you were just grinding it and trying to get into the qualifiers but then you were like buddies off the uh, off the court so you were like traveling with them you were in the same bus or train or flight or whatever it was so you're you're eating dinners with them you're hanging out with them and then once it came to country quota time now you guys aren't friends and now we're playing against each other so that's kind of how, how it all went down and did doing this well on the international tour give you a lot of confidence? So when you did come back and win a provincials, like obviously you guys were labeled the young guys, but you, I think you played Hubbard Gatto in the final. Like I remember it was a tough provincials that year, right? But did you have yeah. a lot of confidence because you were at, at the highest level and getting results? Yeah. Like I thought that like when we, when you came back to Ontario, you, I felt like there was always that, um, that, that uh, target on your back like everyone wanted to beat you now because you just came back from overseas you're like the target everyone wants to take you down because you're tra- you're playing against uh, either Olympians or professionals and now you're coming to Ontario and you're playing against guys who aren't traveling that are still really really solid volleyball players like Mark Gatto and Jason Hubbard at the time were solid players uh, but they weren't going overseas and, and, and traveling for some events so um, playing against some of those guys were, were tough because they, they were after you. Like you had a big target on your back and, and you had to perform and there was no, no like chance to play your B game against them because they were always bringing their, their A game. So yeah, coming back, like expectations were still high, but you knew it was going to be challenging. There's, there's always going to be battles um, back in Ontario, whether those guys were tra- traveling or not, they were still really strong Ontario teams that were, 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 were playing against Sweet, man. I mean, I love hearing some good Chris Simic stories. I'm a big fan of his game, but you've played with uh, a few partners and had success with all of them. So when you're playing with different guys, like what do you like about certain partners? Like you've played with Conrad, you've played with Quinn, uh, you and Reed Hall have had a lot of success. So 
what do you do with these new beach partners and what have you liked about all the guys you've played with? Yeah. So for me, uh, playing with all the different types of partners, you start to learn a lot of different tools that you can bring to your own toolbox, whether that's a mental, um, pickup or tactical or something. Technically you're always learning something new from, from all your, your partnerships. So, um, just even for like the young listeners out there, um, playing with a lot of variety of partners growing up is really good for your own personal game and being able to adapt to new different partners partnerships, whether it's during a mid-season partner change or at the beginning of a new season. So it really opens your eyes and gives you that opportunity to uh, kind of learn some new tricks and tools that you can bring to your own game. And what, like, just a shout out there, uh, one of the partners that I, I got to play with, uh, Conrad Lineman, he went to the Olympics, which was an honor to play with him at the time. And he was kind of out of his prime, but at that time he was, he was like almost 40 years old and we, we hooked up and I was like, I'm going to learn as much as I can and, uh, from him. And we went to, uh, the center, center of gravity tournament in BC and we ended up, uh, getting to the finals and we played, uh, Josh Binstock and Maddie C and that was just a huge battle. And we ended up winning that match. But from the takeaway from that whole tournament, I just learned a lot from such an experienced player who's played at the highest level and, just learning from him. I was just kind of just absorbing everything I could from that, that experience with Conrad and just using that for my own game and then using that coaching on as well in the future. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, what can you say about uh, Reed Hall? Cause I think you mentioned earlier, like that's a guy you've been to the States a lot with. Uh, I don't know if you played much internationally with him, but you definitely played a lot of domestic with Reed, right? Yeah. So Reed and I kind of hooked up around probably 2008, 2009. Um, we played a lot of American events together in Florida and Michigan had a lot of success and playing with Reed was great because we were kind of um, that really high energy, high high like vocal team when we were out together so it's a whole it's a different uh i guess uh competitiveness and we were very uh successful together and i learned a lot from reed and the both of us we kind of like pushed each other um physically and mentally when we were playing together so there was a lot of energy and uh really enjoyed playing with uh reed throughout my uh my career as well and just uh to flip it you mentioned our You've played with Dave Quinn. I think you also played with uh, Fyodor when he was younger. So it's nice being the young guy and getting an experience and kind of stealing those ideas from guys like Conrad. But when you were the vet, what were some little details you like to do to pass on to these guys? That Because uh, Quinn was a heck of an indoor player and you guys played some international on the beach and had success. And, and Fyodor just c- continues to get better, right? So when you're in the vet position, what do you like to do with your partners? Well, when I got to play with Quinn, he was older than me, but he obviously didn't have as much speech experience, but he was a great athlete. Um, he was a really good listener. So anything that I would kind of help him out with, whether it was in a practice, something technically or a strategy that we had going in the game, he really listened and was uh, able to respond to that. And that's like something you need to be able to do with a partnership is not try to control the situation or tell them what to do, but give them a little bit of feedback throughout. And I guess that's something you, you learn and you grow with, with your partnerships um, from a daily basis, um, whether it's training on the sand or training off court. So you start to learn a little bit about your partner. Um, and then that kind of really helps build it into uh, practice planning and, and tournaments and how you can kind of help each other and coach each other through that. Cause if you don't have a coach, um, it's very difficult, but I was actually fortunate that uh, uh, Rob Fernley ended up coaching uh, Dave Quinn and I for that season and kind of getting getting us prepared and getting us ready as much as we could um, in such a short period of time. Awesome, man. So as you're 
competing at the highest level on, on the beach world stage. Like obviously you mentioned the support wasn't there, the funding wasn't there. So you made the, the tough decision to go back to school and obviously pursue a career, right? But you did it at a different school and with uh, being pretty good buddies with Dave McAllister, I understand like you and him maybe have got heated from the, from your days at York where it maybe wasn't as smooth as a transition as people thought. So when you did decide to go to Mac, like what went into that decision? Because they were rivals and across the net and now you're going to be one of them, right? So what went into applying there and recruiting and deciding that that was going to be the spot and the one that you were going to pursue further education with. Yeah, so that was a, a tough year for me because I, I knew I was going to go back to school and I wanted to uh, pursue my undergrad degree and um, I got my minor at York and I wanted to major in another uh, subject area and I thought, you know what, I want to finish off my, my career somewhere that has a strong program and a strong university education as well. And so I contacted Dave Preston and I said, listen, I, I want to come here, um, but I, I need to know where you're at, if, uh, if there's a spot for me and, and what you want to do moving forward. And I knew that Dave wanted me. He, he wanted me, but during my time at York, I wasn't the greatest, I guess, um, player uh, uh, towards the Mac, the Mac players. So anytime we played Mac, we had heated battles. There's a lot of trash talking going through the net, and I knew that Dave made a great. He has he he created a great program there, and he had a great culture. And then at the time, for him, I knew it was going to be tough for him to bring me in because he didn't know what to expect. He didn't want to screw up any type of type of team chemistry that he had going with his culture at Mac. So he needed to figure out uh, if this is going to be a good fit. And he, he wasn't going to make that decision on his own. So he said he's got to talk to the captains um, and see what they think about this idea. And then he's going to get back to me. Um, so they had like a big captains meeting and a team meeting. And they wanted to see if they're going to accept me on the team. And uh, at the time, I think it was Jeremy. No, not Jeremy. But uh, Ryan Hudson and Nate Grunfeld were there. And they had the meeting. And then Dave called me up and he said, you know what? The, the captains, they, they want you on the team. And uh, the team will accept you into our facility and our in our program. So I knew that going in there, I didn't have a long leash. I still had a really short leash, and I had to make sure that anything that happened in the past is was in the past, and I got to move forward. And, and they knew too that having me on their side was something that they wanted. They wanted like a fifth year veteran that's been in the league for a while um, that will support them and, and and back them up whenever they needed it. So um, during that time, like any time there was any heated uh, matches, they knew that like I had their back. And I, I at the time I was I might have been like 24, and there was we had some guys who just came out of high school, like Kevin Stevens. He was like just turning 18 years old. Like, and he wasn't even 19 yet. So, like, we had some young guys that came from out west that year. And um, that that whole recruiting, getting into that MAC program in my last year was was great. And to be part of that culture was something that, like, was unbelievable. And Dave did a great job. And um, my first year there, I had to sit out because when you the transfer policy at the time is if you transfer schools – you have to sit out a year. So I sat and I was like the, the player assistant coach style. So I got to jump in the drills. I got to help Dave. I kind of learned from the bench side of it. And I got to make a good like relationship and connection with Dave and, and Dave McAllister as well. So um, from that side of it, I got to like grow as a player and as a coach, kind of learning from the outside and what they, what they wanted um, from their players. And then, 
that that year I, I worked really hard in the off season. I would go in for one on one workouts with Dave Preston and work on my passing or something that I thought I needed more more work on. And Dave was there to help and support me. And and I put in a lot of hours like outside team practices with individual practices with Dave Preston to uh, get prepared and try to like grow as a player as well. Even know that I had uh, a ton of experience on the beach side and I played already uh, four years in the OUA. So I, I knew a lot of the teams in the game. So, but Dave was a really good uh, mentor there and a coach for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just a credit to Dave Preston and everything he's built there. And and that's what uh, McAllister told me is you kind of won him over that first year where it, it's tough being that guy because sometimes you're the shoulder, sometimes you're in a drill, and sometimes you're holding a clipboard, right? But he said you yeah. never complain once. You were a total team guy and, and definitely kind of won over those guys who who didn't want to be across the net from you. But when you're on their side, it's, it's nice to have guys like you. But uh, I'm wondering if you could just share the behind the scenes of that McMaster culture because you mentioned one of the first things that a, a top coach like Preston and does is talk to his captains but one of the coolest things i've heard about mac is there are just some absolute fights in that gym but guys are friends afterwards right so how do you how did you kind of steal that from your own coaching or what can you tell us as a player who went through that that we're going to go head to head and we're going to battle but we're all going to be friends and we're going to be a team after this right like how did the guys like flip that switch yeah so like at mac david always set up drills where it'd be like left side versus left side or middle versus middle or passer versus passer and it would always be some sort of competitive score to it so we knew that we had to work he would use that as motivation to like start the next game like he didn't care if you were a first year or a fifth year you you can still have the opportunity to start if you if you proved yourself at practice he'll give you that he'll give you that so um I know during like when I was there, I, I had to work hard and, and win those drills, and those battles, because I knew that at the end of the day, like if I want to be on the court, he's not just going to give it to me because I'm in my fifth year and I played four years. I have to go earn it. And I have to show them that I can beat out the other left sides that he has. Um, and you, you got to battle with it. And there'll be times where he would put you in a situation where he would, you would see that he put the starting lineup on the other side and you would be on the second lineup. And then he would throw you in like a left side game and you would be with the second setter and you would have the second middles and then the other side would have the stacked lineup and he would want to see if you can beat that side. And there was always battles. And I remember always be like, there was times where he'd throw me on like the, the second lineup and I thought, okay, well now I got to prove myself to get back onto the other side of the court. So I'd always have to like win that drill to prove that I, I got to go back on that other side. And, and those were some of the key like times at back where I knew that like, it's not going to be given to you. You got to work hard and, that that's that's the way it is at max so the culture was 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 very competitive very competitive and off the court everyone was buddies like it was there was a ton of fun off the court the, the players like even to this day like I, i'm communicating with a lot of the mac guys that i didn't get along with when i was at york but now they're like my best friends like ryan hudson lives out west and we still talk uh like regularly and i still i see uh, sean bench and tyler santoni and i've spoken to them and we we still connect and stay in touch so there's a lot of uh relationships after mac that have developed and uh really enjoy that part of it 
Yeah, just to build on that, like Alex O'Neill gave you a, a, a nice shout out afterwards, but he mentioned that uh, you would talk through the net and he got packed and lost his contact and you were giving yeah. it to him. And it even our relationship, like we've gotten into it with some OVA stuff before. But one thing I always respected about you, you never hold grudges. So I'm wondering with a guy like you who brings that intensity, brings that fire. How did you manage like not carrying stuff with you or having this hatred? Like, I think it's one thing to be labeled as a difficult guy, but it turns into respect when people get to know you. But how did you personally switch that off? where you can be this really tough guy to play against, but you weren't going to hate people after or hold this grudge because it can be a fine line for a lot of athletes to walk. Yeah, like honestly, when I played volleyball, I felt like I was going into like a, a ring. And like as soon as I stepped on the court, I was in like a different mental zone that I'm going in there and anyone across the net's my enemy at the time. And as soon as the match is over and the whistle blows, we shake hands then I'm best buddies with everyone across the net and, and like in, in the crowd. So like, it didn't matter. Like if whatever side I was on, I was really focused and, and just kind of like stayed in the zone and didn't hold any grudges afterwards. Even if I trash talk someone or they trash talk me afterwards, we see each other and have a drink or whatever and, and, and shake hands. And, and that was it. it was just kind of like we, we grew as like the, grew as men. I think like, that's what you do in volleyball is like, there's a lot of like heated battles and that's part of the sport. And then afterwards everyone's friends cause it's part of the culture. So like you kind of, if you hold grudges, it's, it's you're not going to go far in the sport. You're going to have a lot of enemies and it's going to be tough to uh, be liked. Nice. Thank you for that. Well said. Um, and I got a, I got a little a Mac story on my, my last year there at Mac, um, the culture wise was like, like I said, they, they had a great culture, but going into that last season in our last match of my like university career, that was probably the most, um, it was the funnest match, but at the same time, it was the, uh, the most devastating loss of like my, my career. So like we were the number one team, we had the final four, we're hosting it and, um, we're playing Guelph in, in our, in our finals. And we had a fifth, it's not in the finals. Sorry, this was the semis. We didn't even make the finals yet. This is the semis. We're playing Guelph. I think our record was like 18 and 2. And the two times we lost was to Guelph during the season. We lost both times to Guelph. And we had like a 50 year lineup. We had like a lot of veterans. We had like Jeremy Granville, Josh Lichty, Netterveen, and Bench and Santoni and uh, Hudson. So we had a great like lineup. And we were up 2-0 at home, packed house. It was, like, amazing. I thought, okay, we're for sure going nationals. Like, we already booked our flights. I had hotels. Uh, my girlfriend was coming, and now was my wife. Um, I was like, this is awesome. We're, we're going. We're going to nationals. And then if, from, de- from being up 2-0, I, like, blinked my eyes, and we lost. And we lost in five at home. And that was like the most devastating loss. And I still talk to the Mac guys about that loss. And they're, we can't, they still can't get over how we lost that match and how Guelph came back at home at Mac and beat us the next three against like the most senior lineup in the league. Man, it's awesome to hear you tell these stories and just go down memory road. But uh, I promised you an hour and we're well over that. So you'll have to be a returning guest because I feel like there's a ton more stories. But uh, obviously, with you listening to a couple episodes, you know the tradition by now. Uh, with your experience on the beach and indoor and everything you've accomplished in our sport, and, and we didn't even touch on your coaching career, there must have been something funny or odd happen. And I was wondering if you could just give us a laugh before we let you go. Yeah, so... The, the one story I want to bring up was with Anton Hauser. So we were going to India 
And this was the first time India hosted a, a beach volleyball tournament. We've never been to India. Anton's never been there, even though he's traveled all over the world. And we both traveled everywhere. India was the country that we wanted to go play a tournament in. And so they had an FIVB event. So we said, we're going to go to that tournament. So we get there and the culture change was huge for us. They had these three-wheeler taxis that we've never seen before like and that's how you got to different places within the city but there was like no sort of uh street control like everyone was driving everywhere every direction there was cars flying this way and that way and you're just holding on for your life with no seatbelt, just kind of like holding on to a bar and this taxi driver in front of you and there's two seats in the back and this is how you're going to get around from like place to place and when we got to the venue we look at the venue and they're still building the, the grandstand out of sticks and bamboo and and I don't even know what they were building out of and we're like the tournament starts tomorrow like how are they going to get this all ready so uh, we we said okay let's go, let's go for a practice I honestly stepped on the court for five minutes and my feet were burning it was forty five degrees out and I I said Anton we, we there's no way we're going to practice in this like we we can't practice like <laughs> he's like well we came here to play a tournament I'm like I know but. I know we had just had like a 20 hour flight, but there's no way we're going to practice in this. Like I'm going to die in heat exhaustion. Like <laughs> it's 45 degrees. The sand's burning. Nobody else is practicing. Anton wanted to go down the beach. We got some balls and we wanted to go hit some balls, but maybe we hit like three or four balls and that was it. And then, uh, we went back, um, to the whole town the next day at, at the, uh, the tournament, we noticed that the, the referees were all local refs. So none of them, um, were FIVB refs. There was one FIVB ref who was training a lot of the local indoor refs in India. So they were very green in terms of the rules and, and anything like that. We didn't know the culture as well. And our very first point, the team that we were playing against volleyed the serve. And Anton stopped and put his hands up. And they kept playing and they sided out. And we, we, we were like, what's going on here? Like they volleyed the serve. Like this is FIVB. We're not, we're not playing with guys who are volleying the serve. And then the ref looked at us and he gave him the point. And then we're like standing there asking them a question. And in their culture at the time, we didn't know, but they do like a, it's like a head, head shake left to right, left to right. And that's their way of saying yes. And at the time when we said, is that legal? And he had this, his, he was shaking his head left to right. And then I looked at Anton and I'm like, what is he saying? Like, he doesn't know like if it's legal or not. And then I'm like, how does he not know that this is legal? So, um, <laughs> funny, like we, it wasn't like we were disrespecting them. We just didn't know like that was a culture. And then moving on from that play, there was times where we were questioning line calls and we're like, was that in or out? He looked at us and he shook his head left to right. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's his, he, he, he means yes, that, that's yes. So at the end of the day, like, we, we finally realized that, hey, like, in India, that's their culture of saying yes. Uh, but we thought it was like, maybe, I don't know. And then, uh, so like, that, that was kind of like a little funny moment for us. Um, having these referees who were, we knew that we were like green with the rules and we knew that we had to uh, really respect that and then understand their culture. So that was kind of like a, uh, a, a moment for us during our, our career. You definitely handled that better than I thought you and Anton would because I can picture myself there and I like I flew 20 hours to get here and now you're like making up rules. I'd be freaking out. But you guys yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. handled it. No, we didn't get any red cards. That was okay. No red cards. 
<laughs> well, man, this is awesome. I, I want to thank you for telling that story. But you and I were talking before the show, and I understand you might have either stories on your brothers or Reed Hall. You spent a lot of time with them. So uh, I was hoping to inch you towards maybe just one more funny story before I let you go, because th- this has been awesome, and I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, no problem. So one of those stories I had with Reed Hall is we went to play a tournament in Florida, and it was Karch, Karch's uh, Corona Wide Open turn, Tournament, I think it was called. And it was the old, he brought back the old school rules with the old school lines. So the lines were like ropes, and they weren't like the thick, like inch and a half, nice tape lines. This was like string lines with a net with no antennas. So the posts were the antennas. And Reed and I were in Florida, and our first round, we look at the, across the net, and Steve, uh, Steve Grotowski and uh, Adrian Karambula. And I was like, oh, great. Now right, we're going to play against some Olympians with some some lines here. And um, Adrian starts throwing up these massive sky balls at us, and we're, <laughs> we were, like, trying to track it. It was so windy. And then the funniest thing I've ever seen, I've never seen anyone do this. He, he's a left-handed player for anyone that doesn't know, and he would start really wide to the left side. And he would toss a spin serve really far left. So his, he would chase it with his left shoulder, but he would slip it around the antenna, I'm sorry, around the, the post and then ace us. And we were like looking at the refs. We're like, you can't do that. They're like, yeah, that, that, that's legal in this tournament. And I was like, Reed, <laughs> what's going on here? This guy's like, he's like the and one of beach volleyball. He's throwing up <laughs> sky balls. He's like doing jump serves that are going around the outside post. You can imagine Ash Bridges having the post there and your lineup set up. And someone's ripping jump serves around the post with tons of side spin on it and then acing you. But it wasn't even going like the height of the net. It was like going like in the middle of the net height, but around the post, but it was legal. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I can't believe we're actually playing this. And then <laughs> that was the rules back in that tournament. It was, it was old school rules. Um, no left serve so uh, he was going around the outside of the post that was a pretty uh, interesting uh, uh, tournament that we had to play and I've never seen that type of serve and that was actually legal in the tournament that counted (laughs) (laughs) that's unbelievable well man thank you for coming on and sharing all the stories you did I I think we could easily go another hour so you'll have to come back but you're a good family man and I'm sure your wife and kids are wondering what you've been doing the last hour and a half here so uh, (laughs) I'll let you go but thanks again for coming on sharing what you did and and like I said yeah we got to do part two because we're just scratching the surface here thanks Josh for having me I'm looking forward to it